Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Good morning. Today's reading will be from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven, to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse in the heavens, to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens, to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the 
the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that it is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. It might appear as a small thing, but thank you for holding fast and enduring in the reading of God's word and by standing, if you are able, to show respect to that word. So thank you so much. It is good to have you out this morning. Thank you for participating in our family of families and the gathering for those who are watching online. Between Isaiah and Hebrews, we'll begin Hebrews in the fall. We're doing a short study of Pastor Pat's picks. We'll also have some guest speakers. This Sunday, we're looking at Genesis 1. Next Sunday, Exodus 20. And then the following Sunday, Ruth chapter 4. These are Pastor Pat's picks from the past 20 years. Uh, We could do a number of months just looking at some of the passages that we have considered. But it's good to be reminded of where we are right now in our lives, our society, our culture, our nation, our world, our state, our city, our community. We all need to be reminded as to who created whom. When the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it sets down certain parameters, certain guidelines. And it's important that we remember these things. It's important in my life that I remember that God created me. I did not create him. And that I am under his watch care. I am under his authority. And God is governing the world in which we live. One of the major aims of the Old Testament, as we read from Genesis through Malachi, is to set out the relationship that God has with the natural world and with humanity. And its essence, this relationship is rather simple. God is the creator, and we are the created. And everything outside of God is created. It includes all of mankind and the entire cosmos, the entire universe, the entire world, both the seen and unseen realms. And it's created by God alone. And this morning, we'll simply remind ourselves that there is a God, and we are not him, and he has created us. And there is a purpose, a reason, a design as to why we are where we are in this moment. Before venturing further, let us have a word of prayer. Our Father, this morning we do indeed acknowledge that we, we as your people are the work of your hands as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are part of the cosmos, the universe, the world, and you are the creator of this cosmos. You have always been and you will always be. There is no origin with you. We believe all things exist by your creative power and your will. We know all you created was good. It has been corrupted but will be good once again. We confess all things have come from you, are sustained by you, and will be for you. We thank you for the Bible's singular story with Jesus at the center. Guide our thinking in this study. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If we step back and look at the big picture, we recognize that the Old Testament stresses that God alone is eternal, that God alone is infinite. We are finite. We are temporal, we have origin, but God alone is eternal and he is infinite. Creation itself is a purposeful act of God, deriving from his love and his purpose. 
And the message of Genesis is that the world is not the product of some chance sequence of events, but deliberately created by God. We are here by design. We have purpose. We have significance for existing. The first several chapters in the book of Genesis set the stage as an introduction of God and the creation of all things by him. I enjoy looking at the structure of books. And if you look at Genesis, there are 50 chapters in Genesis. Chapters 1 through 11 are historical. We call them primeval history. And you have four great events. You have creation. Then you have the fall in Genesis chapter 3, the flood 6 through 9, then the Tower of Babel. Then you have the calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. From 12 through 50, you have the four great patriarchs. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. Joseph is not of Judah. Joseph is Joseph. But Joseph preserves the seed promise in God sending him to Egypt and keeping the nation alive. You have the history of humanity, which is very much a prologue in the first 11 chapters. And then you have the history of the Hebrews, through which will come both the oracle or written word of God, as well as the seed promise. In Genesis chapters 1 through 11 and Genesis chapters 1 and 2, which we are looking at this morning, you have the setting of the stage. But when you get to 12 through 50, you really have the main event. And that's what we have when we look at Genesis. Now, we're only considering chapter 1 primarily, but you take chapter 1, you place it inside that larger context, and what chapter 1 does for us is set the stage. In the beginning, God. God creates the heavens, the cosmos, everything seen and unseen, and the earth. But there are certain things that we want to consider. There are four primary ideas with one New Testament contribution, and hopefully the study itself will help recalibrate, reset our thinking. But we get, begin with this idea, verse 1, in the beginning, God. There was never a time when God was not. I, I personally love these kinds of things, these kinds of thoughts, that there was never a time when God was not. The Bible never explains God's origin, and the reason why is because God has no origin. Amen? I mean, that in itself is pretty cool. There is nothing before God. I remember as a small Catholic child asking my mother what was before God and her responding, nothing. Nothing. God alone is eternal without beginning or ending, self-existing and self-sustaining. I'm going to read a rather large statement for us, but I'm wanting us to stretch ourselves concerning, in the beginning, God. The great Reformed theologian Charles Hodge, writing in the 19th century, explains God's eternality. The infinitude of God relatively to space is his immensity or omnipresence. The magnitude of God relatively to space is his immensity or omnipresence. God is everywhere at the same time in the fullness of his being. Woo! That's big stuff. Relatively to duration in, its, in his eternity. As he is free from all the limitations of space, so he is exalted above all the limitations of time. God operates outside of. As he is not more in one place than in another, but is everywhere equally present, so he does not exist during one period of duration more than another. He has always been what he is and will be. With him there is no distinction between the present, the past, and future. But all things are equally and always present to him. God right now is attentive to you as he was to Moses and will be to the following generations. With him, duration is an eternal now. 
This is the popular and the scriptural view of God's eternity. Listen to the following passages. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 102, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Isaiah 57, verse 15, which is somewhat exciting to me in the quotating of Isaiah. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Isaiah 44, verse 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Psalm 90, verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 8, One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. God is timeless. Hebrews 13, 8, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. God holds fast in the beginning. Throughout the Bible, he is called the eternal and everlasting God who only hath immortality. The primal revelation of him in Genesis 1 through 11 to, of himself to his covenant people was as the I am. You and I speak of being timeless. That's a, a timeless watch. That's a timeless color such as there was a timeless quality to what they did. She saw it as timeless classics onto which shoppers would layer new purchases. She had the ability to make something completely timeless. The timeless appeal of youth is their energy and enthusiasm. But in the absolute sense, only God is timeless. In the beginning, God. The second thing we see inside Genesis chapter 1, and there's much we could say of Genesis chapter 1, but I will simply highlight four features. First, there was never a time when God was not. The second thing we see is that there was a time when creation was not. There was a time when creation was not. Two things are stated. What God creates, which is everything, and how God creates which is out of nothing. Creation is not eternal. Creation has origin. It sounds somewhat interesting for us to make such absolute statements in a world which wants us to believe that creation is eternal and that creation has no origin. But God creates everything. There was a time when creation was not There is nothing in our world and universe that God did not call into existence or foresee through secondary causation or into existence. What do we mean by that? All that exists, God wanted to exist. For example, Adam was created from nothing. Eve, on the other hand, was created from Adam's side, from something. From Eve onward, all of humanity was created by God through secondary causation. Thus, in the beginning, God created everything out of nothing. The Scottish Presbyterian Thomas Boston in the 18th century makes the following observations as to God creating all things. 
God created all things, the world and all the creatures that belong to it. He attributes this work to himself as one of the peculiar glories of his deity. Only God creates out of nothing, exclusive of all the creatures. Isaiah 44, verse 27 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. God alone has done what we see. Isaiah 45, verse 12, It is I who made the earth. I created man upon it. Isaiah 40, verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens by the span, calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? The Bible here and elsewhere openly declares that God is the one who creates the cosmos. God alone creates us. These are magnificent descriptions of the creating power of God, exceed everything of the kind that hath been attempted by the pens of the greatest sages of antiquity. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. By this operation, God is distinguished from all the false gods and fictitious deities which the blinded nations adored. Shows himself to be the true God who has created all things. Jeremiah 10 verse 11 says, Thus you shall say to them, The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Psalm 90 verse 5, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. God has made everything. The world in which we live, multiple voices competing with the singular absolutes of Scripture, clash against the simple statement, in the beginning, God, and it is God who created the heavens and the earth. How does God create? He made it from nothing. The creative action by God is described by the Latin phrase, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Orthodox Christianity has understood that God created the universe out of nothing, creating simply by divine fiat. God needed no pre-existing material. God made it out of nothing. God created everything by his will. He wanted all of creation to exist, and in the wanting, it existed. Only God has the power to link what he wants with having it done. And repeatedly in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we read the simple statement, he spoke, and it came to pass. Part of what we read in Genesis concerning creation is a six-day creation. Moses will reference a six-day creation in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, and Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. He writes, for in six days, and the days described in Genesis 1 and 2 is day and night. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day a Sabbath rest. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Exodus 31, 16, and 17, So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generation as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. I recognize that there is significant debate and there's much discussion concerning the age of the earth. And I would love to elaborate on the topic. 
However, I will simply state that I believe in a six solar day creation. And why? Because this is the way Genesis 1 and 2 communicate the idea and repeats the same idea later in the book of Exodus. A third structural element within Genesis 1 and 2 in creation, and we heard it repeated as we had Genesis 1 read, was, and it was good. At the conclusion of the whole thing, it says, and it was very good. God creates everything good. This good is twofold. It is good in the sense of achieving its design. God set out to do what he wanted and did it. The good does not mean perfect. And by saying it does not mean perfect, we're not implying that there was at that point sin. But rather there is more to God's purpose than just the seven-day cycle. For example, when a baby is born, we say that baby is perfect. Knowing full well that the present state is leading up into greater levels of maturity that the child will reach. There's still more to the entire plan than the six initial creative days. And it is good in a moral sense. There was nothing sinful in God's initial creation. All that God created was good. Genesis chapter 1, verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31 say the same thing, and it was good. Why was creation good? Because God is good, and from God's goodness, he creates all things good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. But we read Genesis 3. From that good creation, sin caused the world created by God as good to fall into a state of decay. That's where we are right now. Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis makes the statement that Genesis 3 teaches that the fall utterly disrupted the original good. And we show directly from Scripture that we now live in a groaning world because of sin. God's redemptive plan includes the full restoration of that original design. Romans 8, 20-23, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You and I marvel at what we see in creation. We absolutely marvel at what we see. I experienced the Grand Canyon firsthand, up and close, personal. That thing is incredible. Well, what is the Grand Canyon? The Grand Canyon is a scar. It's a consequence of fall. Our present world bears the scars of judgment. But a day is coming when the world shall be healed of her wounds, and it groans waiting for that restoration. Secured by Christ. Not only was the world God created good, not only is it currently in a state of corruption and decay, but one day the world created as good shall return to good when Jesus returns. That's like a woohoo. One day this whole thing is going to go back to Garden State. Man, I can't wait. I'm not that old, but I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired. Some of you are ancient of days. And you're groaning. You're groaning. You more than me are looking for the return. 
Scripture speaks of a new heavens and a new earth. When Jesus returns, all of this corruption caused by sin shall be forever contained and only good shall be present and the garden shall be reinstated. Isaiah 65, verse 17. Isaiah 66, verse 22. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Revelation 21, 1. A day will come when we will see a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth pass away and there is no longer any sea. I cannot fathom or process what heaven will be like. I cannot process what it will be like to be in the presence of Jesus and be embraced by him and feel that welcome and feel that acceptability and feel that access. But one day, what we currently experience will be done away with and we will be inside of a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus Christ and his redemptive act has secured that end. The fourth thing we see that I wish to stress inside of Genesis chapter 1 is that the God creating in Genesis 1 and 2 is Trinitarian. And what do we mean by that? Well, Genesis 1 contains an embryonic form, the doctrine of the Trinity, that is alluded to in other parts of the Old Testament and fully developed in the New Testament. When we study the book of Isaiah in the 8th century B.C., we know that we have Yahweh, we know that we have Jesus, or we have the servant king, and we have the Holy Spirit. The God revealed in Genesis 1 is a Trinitarian God. It is right for us to repeat regularly that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. So in embryonic form, we speak of patterns and prophecies and promises and pictures in the Old Testament. All of those patterns and promises, prophecies and pictures are concealing something more to come. If we don't read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, we fail to understand the Old Testament fully. Thus, it is probable and right to be able to read the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when it says, let us make man in our image because of the New Testament record. In the Old Testament, the Trinity as revealed in the New Testament and understood by the creeds, Okay, as we have the New Testament, we have a fuller understanding of what the Trinity looks like or means. And then through the councils and creeds, we have a, again, fuller understanding of what this means for us today. Thus, in the Old Testament, though, the Trinity, as revealed in the New Testament and understood by the creeds, is not explicit. Genesis 1.26 does, however, implicitly provide for Trinitarian thought. Moreover, the New Testament explicitly teaches a Trinitarian creator. So when we come to the New Testament, in Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 2, we read of the Spirit. John chapter 1, 1 through 3, we read of the Son creating in Ephesians 3, 9 and elsewhere. We read of the Father creating. All three are assigned in the New Testament with the creative act of creation. And thus we can see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, that the creator is a Trinitarian creator, both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the next statement exceeds the boundaries of our passage, but it begs to be asked, why did God create the cosmos? Why has he created us and all of this? Well, ultimately, we understand it's for his glory. He created everything out of nothing in order to put his glory on display for the delight of his created beings and that they might declare his greatness. 
The book of Genesis records God's extraordinary display of sovereignty in speaking creation into being and then in saving it. And both creation and regeneration showcase God's power to bring something out of nothing. The end game of both acts elevate who God is and his power. They bring him glory. It is easy for us to be distracted by all things horizontal. But if we take time and we simply pause and look around what is happening, we have to be amazed. We have to be amazed. One of the values in being in the woods or taking a long hike in the middle of nothing is to really see the handiwork of God. Both creation and regeneration showcase this power. Psalm 72 verse 19 says, Blessed be his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Isaiah 6 verse 3, The whole earth is full of his glory. Ezekiel 43 verse 2, The earth shined with his glory. Habakkuk 3 3, His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. One day all that God created will fully reflect again the glory of God. We know this from passages like Isaiah 11, verse 9, Habakkuk 2, 14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. The glory of God is the expression of God's essence, of his being. The glory is what radiates from his presence. It is the tail following the comment. It's like, wow. For example, in part of our news feeds for June, we read of... Uh, you know, I, I, assuming you've heard this, of Tom Brady throwing a football off of a yacht, knocking a drone out of the air. It was quite amazing what professional athletes can do. I mean, it's quite amazing. Whatever Tom did brought him glory. It brought him glory. Not the yacht, not the football, and certainly not the drone that he knocked out of the air. What Tom did showcased his ability and brought him glory. When God created the cosmos, brought God glory. Because no one and nothing can do what he did. As it relates to the cosmos and to us, all that can be seen and unseen is for the glory of God. What we see causes us to return to the creator. When we look at creation, it should cause us to return to the creator. When we break the link between the creator and the creation, we fall into idolatry. We begin to assign something or someone what is only rightfully his. It is hard for finite minds to comprehend the infinite. I think we do well to ponder such things and stretch ourselves and think on God. But we will always come up short because we are finite, limited, restricted beings. But within the Trinity, it is through the exaltation that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit receive glory. We read of this in Philippians chapter 2. Every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thus, the New Testament causes us to focus on Jesus as the central point within the created action. It is through his creative activity and redemptive work that God's being is fully displayed. So we looked at this idea of God creating as Trinity for his glory. I'm going to turn us to the New Testament because everything in the New Testament, everything in creation from the New Testament says is from Jesus, held together by Jesus, and for Jesus. 
And why? In so doing, the Godhead as Trinity receives glory. We see this. Although the Godhead equally share each and every attribute, which is a fascinating study, the Bible tells us three things about creation and Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, From him all things exist. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says, By him all things hold together. If the Godhead removed themselves from the earth, from the cosmos, the cosmos would implode. It would simply dissolve and collapse. And Colossians 1.16 says, for, for, for him all things exist. One day, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. God's intent for creating comes to its fullest consummation and focal point in Jesus. Thus, in Jesus, his people find their rest. God creates a space in Genesis 1, where he will meet their, his people for their joy. We call that the garden in Eden. What we find in the New Testament is that Jesus is the garden realized. Our ultimate place of rest is in him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whether or not there is a physical garden in the future should not detract or distract us from realizing that the physical shadow of a garden only points us to the literal substance, which is Jesus. As much as we talk about going to heaven, going to heaven, I'm wanting to go to Jesus because there is no heaven in his absence. And wherever he is, heaven is. And it won't be heaven that brings me joy. It'll be Jesus that brings me joy. So we go to Jesus. What do we do with what we just heard? Well, let me offer you five concluding thoughts. First of all, God eternally exists without beginning nor ending. So when we speak of God, when the scriptures speak of God, God eternally exists without beginning nor ending. If God is a kind, like we are a kind, if God is a kind, then he is the only one of his kind. There's no one or nothing like God. Secondly, he created all things within the cosmos. There is nothing inside of creation that God has not created. And as creator, all creation is under his authority and accountable to him. One of the reasons why the unbelieving wish to reject God and deny the God of the Bible is because they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to be controlled by rules and regulations, by absolutes. But the Bible has absolutes. But we are accountable to our Creator. And what He demands or requires of us today is to believe in Jesus. Can you believe in Jesus? The third thing is that all that God created is good. We sometimes look at the world in which we live and we think, this place stinks. But God created good. There is purpose behind what God does. God's not random. God's not sitting up in heaven saying, hey, what do you want to do today? Well, what do you think? Create? All of creation shall answer to its intended design. Just as he redeems his people, so also shall he redeem his cosmos. And that's going to be incredible. 
Number four, God is one God in three persons, created the entire cosmos. There is no other creative agent enabling and assisting God. God needs no counselor. And finally, within the creative working of God, Jesus is the center. Right now, there are many of us who have loved ones who have preceded us. Where are they right now? Jesus in John 14 says that he goes to prepare a place for them. Right now, he's preparing that place. But right now, they are with Jesus. And until that place is completed, they are with him. And then they will be with him in that place. In creating, God has made all the necessary preparations for his people to know and experience the joy that he has within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this joy is only known and experienced in his presence. The only place that we can be happy is with him. That's why the invitation in Scripture is always, come to me. Come to Jesus. If you don't know Christ, we invite you to come to him. If you do know Christ, come to him. He is where you find your joy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. And one day it will be all pointing us to Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father, we look at a simple study like this, and it reminds us to recalibrate, to rethink, to go back to what we know to be true. The fallen world surrounding us paints a very different picture of who you are and how we got here. Father, we ask that you would protect us from this, their continued onslaught against you. We think of the educational process and where our young people hear something other than this. Protect them. Father, may our hands not fall, may our knees not buckle as we seek to hold fast to Christ. May the Holy Spirit correct our minds of faulty thinking. May we simply say that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. And Father, may that bring us joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.